good evening. Turn, if you would, tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Janessa, make sure he behaves, okay? All right. Very good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we do have together tonight. I pray that you'd bless the effort to preach your word. I pray that it'd be help to us as we kick off this new year in your house tonight. I pray that uh, this would be something that would be uh, good and helpful uh, for the days to come. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin tonight's message by doing quite a bit of review. Not that it'll take a long time to get through it, but I want to try to cover a lot of ground quickly so that we can be sure and be clear as to what's going on as we make our way to the text tonight. I know that all of us know this, that whenever Paul wrote his first letter to the believers there in uh, Corinth, he did so because the people there in the church had gotten uh, very sideways in their walk with the Lord. They were not at all where they should have been. They were backslidden. They were no doubt out of the will of God. And so as Paul wrote that letter, we know that that was not a letter that he was hoping or wanting to write. We know that it caused him trouble. We know that it distressed him, but he knew it had to be done. And so as that letter was sent, there was uncertainty as to how it would be received, as to how the people would respond to the letter. But we know that, according to Paul's words in this second letter, that they responded after a godly sort or after a godly manner. And so we talked about that, how the Scripture makes clear that whenever godly sorrow takes place and whenever people uh, have a, a well, not Whenever they have a godly sorrow rather than a worldly sorrow, it is always going to lead to repentance, which is a change of mind, which is a change of action, a change of behavior. And so last week, we looked in verse number 12, or verse number 11 rather, and watched as Paul explained what biblical repentance then looks like, what will be involved in this avenue or aspect of biblical repentance. And so uh, just very quickly, I just want to remind us so that we're all on the same page, that whenever someone has truly repented of sin in their lives, there will be an eagerness on their part to be made right with God. They will not want to be slow about this. They'll not want to drag their heels. When somebody has a desire to be right with God, there will be a sense of eagerness associated with it. They will also have a desire to be made right with the people they have offended. If a person is truly wanting to get right with God, they will have a desire to be made right with others. We then talked about this because verse number 11 makes this clear, that whenever a person has repented, there will be a sense of shame and disgust for the sin that they allowed to enter into their lives. They will not have a neutral attitude toward the sin that was able to permeate their lives. Past that, he said, of true biblical godly repentance, there will be a passion and a zeal to do what is right. You'll not have to beg people to do what is right. They'll have a desire to do what is right. They will have a zeal in order, or they'll have a zeal about themselves to do what is right. And then the last part of it was this, is they will also have a desire to have other areas of their lives confronted. When someone is wanting to get right with God, they will want everything exposed that can be exposed by way of sin in their lives. And so if that is not present, 
then repentance really has not taken place. I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. We have come to a place in our culture today where people think repentance is nothing more than saying, God, I'm sorry, and then continuing on in their ways with no change. That is not biblical repentance at all. Just because somebody feels guilty, just because somebody feels remorse, just because a person cries, just because a person says, I'm going to do better, that's not repentance. You and I can know that repentance has taken place when you see a change in behavior, a desire to be made right, a shame and a disgust for the sin that was present, and the things that we've talked about already. So that's where we're at tonight. Tonight's message is going to overlap to an extent, but this evening I want to begin by telling a story that is new by way of specific details, but it is old by way of principle. And as this has happened to me recently, I'm sure things similar to this have happened to you at some point in the past, and and I think you'll be able to identify what I'm talking about as we go through this. So here's the story that's happened to me in the last few weeks that that I want to share with you that you can identify with. I, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, reached out to an individual, made contact with them, had some interaction with them, and long story short, I reached back out to them a couple of weeks ago by way of email. In this email, I just wanted to share with them that they had been a blessing to me, that they had been a blessing to my family. But because I don't know this person real well, I didn't know what that person's response would be. I didn't know if I would ever hear from that person. I didn't know if they would just ignore my email, never to respond to me. I didn't know if my address would be marked as spam to make sure that nothing ever went through again. I didn't know what the response of that person was going to be. But around Christmas, right after Christmas, I had kind of forgotten about the email that I sent. It wasn't fresh on my mind because of everything else that was going on. But right after Christmas, I, I opened up my phone and an email came up from this person that I had responded to. Now, in this email that they responded to back to me, I could tell that though it was a brief email, they had worked to make it personal and they had worked to make it kind. And in that email, they made one particular comment that stuck out in my mind, and I would say this, that that one little statement, that one little remark, that was a tremendous blessing to me. It was something that jumped off the page, so to speak. It was something that got my attention. And it was something that meant much to me in that moment. And I've gone back and I've reread it a few times since then. It was just a blessing to me. Now, if I were able to go to that person and say to them, how much have you thought about your statement to me since you made it? Here is what I think that person would say. I said, what to you? And I would have to remind them of what they said. So on their part, or maybe from their thinking, from their perspective, what they did would not have been that big of a deal to them, but it was a big deal to me. So let me ask you, while the specifics may be different, I want us to consider this thought, 
Has anyone ever done something to you that to them it may not have been a big deal, but to you it was a significant moment in your life? I think most of us, if we're honest, I think most of us can relate to this, that we've had some moment, we've had some occasion where somebody said something, where somebody did something, where somebody responded in such a way, and to them it was really not that big of a deal, but to us it was a tremendous help and it was a tremendous blessing. I hope you've had moments like that. Well, then it makes me wonder this. Have I been able to do that for anyone else? Think about that. As I have gone through my life, and maybe you should think about this from your own perspective, as you have gone through your life, have you been able to do things that were a tremendous blessing to someone else that you don't even realize you did or remember doing? what you did? Well, here's the answer to that question. Well, we don't know. Right? I mean, if we don't remember it, if we don't realize it, somebody may say something to us like what you said or what you did that was a real blessing and that was a real encouragement. And we might say to ourselves, huh, I don't remember doing that. I don't remember saying that. But I wonder if I have done that. Here's what I would say in light of that. I hope that I have. I hope along the way there would be people who would say things of myself and their interaction with me. You know, Kyle said something. It probably didn't mean anything to him, but it meant much to me. He probably wasn't thinking that much about it, but that was a help and that was an encouragement. I want that to be true of me. And again, I, I hope that you would want that to be true of you. And so tonight, if that's what you would hope for, if that's what you would desire, let me say this, then tonight's message is for you. Isn't that exciting? I'm going to share with us something tonight that every one of us can do. And in our minds, it's going to be simple. In our minds, it'll probably be something that we wouldn't even think about. But if we'll just do this, we'll be amazed as to how many people will be blessed by the simplicity of our action. We won't go home and talk to our spouse about it. We won't sit around the table drinking a Coke or a cup of coffee with people and say, let me tell you how I bless them. It'll just happen. But we're going to have to do this in order for it to be so. So what is it that we have to do if we want to be a help and a blessing to others? Well, notice in verse number 13, here is what Paul said. The thoughts are still continuing on the subject of godly sorrow, godly repentance versus worldly sorrow and worldly grief and, and what the world would call repentance. And in verse number 13, here is what Paul said, Therefore we were comforted in your comfort. We were comforted in your comfort. 
So what does it mean to be comforted in your comfort? Paul is obviously writing to believers of Corinth, so he says, we were comforted in your comfort. Now, I know that this may seem like I'm splitting hairs. I know that some people may say, well, well that seems confusing to me. That, that's fine. I'm just trying to help us understand this. The word comforted and comfort are actually two different words, though translated the same. So the first word comforted, here is what it means. It means to be encouraged or to be strengthened. So Paul is saying to the believers that as a result of their response to the word of God that was presented to them by Titus, that Paul wrote to them, he said, we were encouraged and we were strengthened by or through your comfort. So what does that second comfort mean? What is that dealing with? Well, if you look at it and study it out, here is what it means to an extent. It is dealing with their reconciliation or them being made right with God. Is you following this? Apparently not. Uh, but this is important, Okay. Here is Paul writing to believers who have been confronted over their sin and they have responded appropriately to the word of God. They have responded appropriately to this rebuke they have been given. And as a result of a right response, they have been reconciled unto God or made right with God. And so here is what Paul says, that as a result of your reconciliation with God, as a result of you being made right with God, that was a source of strength and encouragement to me personally and to those who would have traveled or been with Paul at the time. So this is important that we note this, that we keep this in mind, that their reconciliation, their being made right with God, was a source of encouragement and strength for the Apostle Paul and those who were with him. Notice what he goes on to say in verse number 13. He said, Yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus. So what does that mean whenever he says what he did in verse number 13? He says, well, we were extremely joyful for the joy that was produced in Titus because his spirit was refreshed by you all. Titus is the one who delivered the letter, apparently. And, and remember, Paul didn't know how the people were going to respond. Well, if Paul didn't know how the people were going to respond, you can be sure that Titus didn't know how the people were going to respond. But based upon their response, based upon their repentance, and based upon their reconciliation, what Paul said was this of Titus, that his spirit, his inner man, was refreshed by them or through all of them. And he said, because of the joy that was produced in Titus, we also had joy produced in our lives. What does it mean whenever Paul says that Titus was refreshed? Well, here is what the word refreshed means, and, and it's kind of a, a broad term or a broad word, but it means this, to give a peace and a calm. To give a peace and a calm. Think about this. Have you ever confronted someone and you didn't know how they were going to respond? And whenever they responded the way that you hoped they would respond, isn't it amazing the way it just kind of put you at ease for the rest of the encounter? 
You know, if you're about to talk to someone and you don't know if they're going to get mad, you don't know if they're going to kick you out, you don't know if they're going to call you names or, or if they're going to hug your neck and say thank you so much, it can be and make for a stressful situation. So whenever the people of Corinth began to respond properly in his spirit and in his inner being, it gave him peace and it gave him calm. The word means for a time of tranquility. And it also means this, to provide new energy or new vigor. Again, if you think about this, if you've ever had to confront somebody and, and they began to respond in a way that you hoped they would respond, boy, it just kind of gives you a, a spring in the step. As opposed to whenever they don't respond in the way that you were hoping they would respond. So here's Paul writing to believers based upon their repentance, based upon their changed way of life, and being reconciled unto God. He said, you have comforted us, you have strengthened us, you have encouraged us, you have been a source of joy, and you have been a source of joy to Titus and his spirit because you were a refreshment to him. In verse number 14 he says, For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. And notice what he says next, still writing of Titus. In verse number 15 he said, And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembereth the, uh, the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him. So what does he say in verse number 15? He says this, that the affection that Titus has for you, it continues to abound toward you. He says in verse number 15 that you received him with tre fear and trembling. I don't know what stage of life Titus was in whenever he brought this letter to the believers of Corinth, but this we know, he was outnumbered, no doubt. That would have been a very intimidating situation. You know how I know? Sometimes it's intimidating to stand before people whenever you know that the message may not be real exciting or real, not real thrilling. Or, or sometimes when they're just kind of staring at you like it's the first time back in church in a while and just get it done. Not knowing what their response would be would have been very intimidating. But here is how they responded with fear and trembling. They received him in a wonderful, wonderful fashion, in a way that could have only been prayed about and hoped for. So he said that the inward affection of Titus toward them, because of how he responded, was something that increased their, their, his love or affection for them. And then notice in verse number 16, this is just important, and then we'll move on. But he said, I rejoice therefore that I have confidence in you in all things. I rejoice, I am glad, I am happy, I am thankful, I am all these things. For what? That I have confidence in you. Now, now, now think about this. Though the word is not spoken, it is certainly implied, I rejoice therefore that I have confidence in you in all things. Parentheses, again. 
Because whenever the people of Corinth had backslidden and were not living at all how they should have, I can promise you Paul had lost a measure of confidence in them. Just think about the the obvious reality of this, the obvious truth of this. If you have ever seen someone backslide in their Christian life, you lose confidence in their spirituality. You don't look at someone who was once here, who is now way back here, and say to them, man, I've got great confidence in their walk with God. Man, I've got great confidence in their relationship with the Lord. No, that's not at all how it works. Whenever somebody has backslidden, you begin to question everything about them. And so what Paul is saying, as a result of their response... His confidence had been reinstilled in them, and he was able to trust them once more. So let's, let's put all this together and let's make sense of this and, and see what is happening here. They've backslidden, right? They're not at all where they're supposed to be, and what does Paul have to do? He has to write a letter of confrontation. Does he want to do this? No, he doesn't want to, but he knows it has to be done. So the letter gets sent, and Titus doesn't know what the response is going to be. He's only heard some things about the believers, about the church, from what Paul and maybe some others have said. And as he goes and he delivers the letter, what is there? There is godly sorrow. And they begin to change. They begin to get right with God fervently and earnestly and eagerly. And they begin to get right with one another. And they begin to reveal their shame and disgust for the sin that they've, they've been engaging in. And there's a zeal and a passion to do right. And they've got a hunger now for the truth of God's Word that they haven't had for a while. And as Titus returns, Paul says, man, I am encouraged and I am strengthened by your reconciliation to God. And here's Titus. I mean, just of Titus, it could be said of him that that the way that you received him and you eliminated his fears and you brought about a calm, it gave new energy and it gave him new vigor and he loves you even the more now. And, And I have been given this confidence in you that I had lost in you. This is what Paul is saying in the context of chapter 7. So as all this is happening and as all this is taking place, I I just want us to see if this is fair to paraphrase it like this. If you don't agree with this, I apologize and, and you can dismiss all of this. But is it fair to say, if we look at everything that Paul has written, that as Paul evaluated the situation that he would say something to this extent... What a blessing to see all this happen. What a blessing to see all this take place. To see men and women and possibly children repenting and getting made right with God. The confidence that it gives me. The joy that it's instilled in in Titus and and everything that it's accomplished. Do you think it's safe to say that, that Paul thought, wow, what a blessing. I'm just going to let you know, I think he was blessed by it. I don't think the Apostle Paul got the report from Titus and just thought to himself, well, I probably ought to be nice and talk about how we rejoiced even though we didn't. And then, you know, we were made exceedingly glad even though we weren't. No, I think Paul's heart was so full that he was blessed by everything that the believers of Corinth had done. Somebody says, well, what's the point? Well, the point in part is this. Whenever 
the believers of Corinth, can you turn this? It's, it's ringing up here, Teresa. Whenever the believers of Corinth began getting right with God, do you think they were sitting around saying to themselves, man, are we going to be a blessing to Paul? Whenever they began getting right with God, whenever they began getting right with one another, do you think they were sitting around saying to themselves, don't you know we are refreshing Titus something serious right now? I don't think that's what they were saying. Whenever they began getting right with God, I don't think the believers of Corinth were sitting around saying, well, I know one of the side effects of this is going to be that Paul is going to have confidence in us again. But as a result of them getting right with God, the byproduct of it was, even though it wasn't all done conscientiously on their part to be a blessing to Paul, that's exactly what it produced. Now, in light of all that, we're just going to look at one more little statement, and then I want us to think about something for a couple of moments. Look there again in verse number 15. He said, And his inward affection is more abundant toward you whilst he remembereth or calls to mind what? The... Somebody help me, please. The obedience of you all. You know what Paul is saying? You know what has prompted this kind of a response? You know what has prompted what we would refer to as a blessing? Is your obedience to the Word of God. What is obedience? It is when a person yields to or complies to the authority of someone other than themselves. That is what obedience is. Obedience is when someone gives an instruction, when someone gives an order, when someone gives some kind of direction, and the person says, all right, I'll comply to that. I will yield to that. I will submit to that. Now, now, now think about this. This is as obvious as anything could be, yet it could be overlooked if we're not careful, that where there was repentance, there had to be obedience. Are we seeing this? You cannot have obedience, or repentance rather, and maintain disobedience. So this all ties together. They all work hand in hand, one with the other. But as a result of their repentance, which led to a change of mind, which led to a change of action, what it led to was obedience to God's authority in their lives. And as a result of their visible obedience to God's authority, Paul and the others could not help but be blessed by what they were witnessing. So that in mind, 
Let's consider something we have talked about in recent weeks, but it's okay to be reminded of it once more. Every one of us are sinners, and as a result, what are we going to do at some point? We're going to sin. Every one of us are going to do that, right? Now, we've talked about this, and so I don't want to labor this, but here is what becomes our tendency with sin if we're not careful. Sin finds fertile soil in our lives and it is able to take root in our lives. And that can happen in many, 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 many different areas of life. So we're all sinners, so therefore we all sin. And if we're not careful, we can get very comfortable with the sin that is present in our lives. So here's what God does at some point. He allows someone or something to confront us. Let's listen now. He allows someone or something to confront us on the sin that has found residence in our lives. Is that fair to say? We've all been confronted, right? Okay. So when that happens, let's go back to the sermons from a couple of weeks ago. What are the only two responses that you can have when you're confronted with sin? What is the only response? There are only two of them. What are the only two responses a person can have when confronted about their sin? They can either admit it or deny it. There's no other option available. So if you and I have got some sin in our life, whether it be attitude, whether it be an action, whether it be a spirit, whatever it may be, if somebody comes to us and says your attitude's wrong, your actions are wrong, your spirit is wrong, whatever it may be, there, there's only one of two responses. We can either say you're right and I'm wrong, or as I said a few weeks ago, we dig our heels into the ground and we deny any wrongdoing and we're not about to admit that anything needs to change. Okay, so let's just assume for a moment that sin has manifested itself in our lives. It's found residence there, and, and it's comfortable there, and, and we've gotten used to it, and it doesn't bother us anymore, and we don't notice it like we once did. And somebody confronts us, and we admit, okay, you're right, and I'm wrong, and what I'm doing is sin. We just talked about this recently. What are the only two responses then available to us admitting our fault? It's either godly sorrow or worldly sorrow. Again, there's no third option to you and I admitting that we're wrong. So here's what will happen. We'll either admit it and begin changing or we'll admit it, feel bad about it, but nothing will change. We've all been guilty of worldly sorrow, and we've all been 
wise enough to have some godly sorrow at some point in our lives. Now, I want us to see this, that when you and I have godly sorrow which leadeth to repentance, here is what it will begin producing in our lives. Obedience to God's authority and God's word in our lives. Whenever I repent and begin making things right with God, those who have I, those who have I've wronged, whenever I begin to repent in the way that I am supposed to, here's what it'll lead to. Obedience. And that's what it'll do in your life. Now, I, I want you to see this because, again, I hope we can tie all this together, but I, I think this is very helpful and important. Whenever you and I begin to live in obedience because of repentance, most of us don't sit around and say, man, are we about to be a blessing. But you know what? We are. Because it is a blessing to see people live in obedience to God's will. There is, and we know this, but there is a measure of encouragement that comes in watching someone being made right with God. Would you all agree to that? I mean, if we've ever watched someone get made right with God that we knew was not right with God, if we're honest, we'd have to say, man, what an encouragement. Boy, that, that, that just gives me some strength. That just gives me some encouragement to know that, that we're not wasting our time, that we're not just spinning our wheels. And, and so if it's been an encouragement on our part to see somebody else get made right with God, I want us to know this, that if you and I ever get cross with God, if you and I ever get backslidden, if you and I ever get out of sorts with Him, and we get made right with God, we'll not do this intentionally, but we will by by way of overflow effect, we will be an encouragement to someone else. So you want to be an encouragement to someone without even really being mindful of it, not even really knowing what all kind of an impact you're having on them? Let me just share something with you. Be obedient. When the Word of God is preached and the Word of God confronts, when somebody else confronts, when somebody else challenges you and, and you know that you're wrong, begin walking in obedience. And you know what it will do? It will give an encouragement like we can't begin to describe. If we want to be an encouragement to someone else, be obedient. And you know what that obedience will produce? It'll produce a renewed energy and a renewed vigor in the part of the one who, who had to confront. I'm just saying, you want to be a blessing to the preacher, though that may not be your greatest desire, but, but you want to be a blessing to the, the preacher? Man, just, just 
live in obedience. You want to be a blessing to your spouse? Live in obedience. You want to give them a sense of energy and renewed vigor in their walk with the Lord? Just be obedient to the Word of God. You want to be an encouragement to your children? Just be obedient. You want to be an encouragement to to your parents? Just be obedient. Telling you, it'll produce in people an energy and a and a resolve to just keep going. Not that you intended it that way, but but that's what happens. You want to see their love and affection towards you grow in ways that that you wouldn't have thought possible. Be obedient. It's amazing how attractive obedience is. It's amazing how lovely it is in contrast to how ugly and unattractive disobedience is. So you want to be a blessing to someone without even realizing it, and you just want to—you just want them to love you and have much, much more affection for you than than you would have ever thought possible. Just determine, hey, as I get right with God, I'm going to live in obedience to His word. You want to be a blessing? Just be obedient. And here's what will happen. Their confidence in you will be restored. Even though that wasn't what you were shooting for necessarily. Because see, the act of disobedience kind of undermined the confidence they once had in you. Come on. So if you want to be a blessing... Just be obedient, and they'll start putting confidence in you again, not because you asked for it, but because that's what happens when people get made right with God. They begin to see, hey, they're serious again. They're back on track like they're supposed to be. They've put away the sin. They've put away the selfishness. They've put away the pride. They're now complying with the authority of God in their lives. I'm just saying to you and I, as we, as we enter into this new year, if you and I would like to be a blessing to people without us even realizing it, you know how we can do it? Just decide. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient to the authority of God's word in my life. So whenever I'm living one way and the word of God challenges me and rebukes me and corrects me, I'm going to make things right and I'm going to, I'm going to obey and comply to his will and not be so stubborn on my will. And if we'll just be obedient, we will be a blessing to so many people and we won't even realize we're doing it. How many of us want to be a blessing to others this year? You really want to be a blessing to others this year? You want to be a blessing to this church family? You want to be a blessing to your own family, your own spouse, your children, your parents, your friends? You want to be a blessing? Be obedient. Don't play games in your spiritual life this year. Be obedient, and you'll be a blessing without even realizing it. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be mindful 
of how we can be a blessing through simply obeying your word. Lord, I know that not everyone will be impressed. I know that not everyone will be grateful. I know that not everyone will express the gratitude. But Lord, we all know it to be true that when we see somebody walking in obedience, it is a blessing. I pray that you'd help us tonight to really have a desire to be obedient so that we can be a blessing to others in addition to just being right with you. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.